and he promises to bring the proud person low. God foretells a future of disgrace, destruction, and calamity for everyone who is proud. On the other hand, God promises grace and favor and honor to everyone who is humble. Proverbs 22.4, the reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. And these vastly different outcomes based on either humility or pride is a major theme of Proverbs. If I covered all the verses uh, that are in Proverbs uh, on this, I mean, we would just have a huge list. I encourage you to sometimes sometime go through the book and just look at the topic. Proverbs 3.34, toward the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives honor. Proverbs 11.2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble, there is wisdom. This is the loud and clear message of the entire Bible. Psalm 18, 27, For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. I don't know how many of you have heard of King Ahab, but he was the most evil, wicked king of Israel. And God planned disaster for Ahab. Yet, it says, when he humbled himself, God said, Because Ahab has humbled himself, I will not bring this disaster on him in his day. 1 Kings 21, 29. God responds directly to our pride and to our humility. Unless you love having God work against you, unless you love disaster, you should make humbling yourself one of your biggest life goals. Jesus said, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves, and all those who exalt themselves will, I was, sorry, let me, let me start over with that. Jesus said, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Uh, Luke 14, 11, Paul said to believers, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Colossians 3.12 And be completely humble with one another. Ephesians 4.2 The essence of pride is self-focus and self-exaltation. Proverbs 25.27 says It is not good to eat too much honey nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory. Self-glory, self-focus, self-exaltation, self-promotion is like gorging on honey. Or we might say if you eat 10 crumble cookies, you're going to get sick. Uh, that sugary dessert becomes revolting. And so Proverbs says, or God says in the book of Proverbs, seeking your own glory, turning inward on yourself and self-focus and concern about lifting yourself up. He says that's revolting, it's sickening. Well, it's obvious that we live in a self-loving, self-glorifying culture. 
in our culture, self is prioritized and celebrated above all else. Self-expression is the ultimate value in life. And that's why in the news, and in the paper, in the media, you see, or maybe even among your own friends and acquaintances, you see such anger in our culture toward Christian values and toward the commands of Scripture and toward God because they, those things threaten the final authority of self. Proverbs says, pride is to trust in yourself and in your own understanding. It is to be wise in your own eyes. Thaddeus Williams uh, wrote an article where he said, self-worship, or the title of the article was, self-worship, the, fast, the world's fastest growing religion. He said, your mind is the source. In this new religion, your mind is the source and standard of truth. So no matter what, trust yourself. The answers are within. In this new religion, your emotions are authoritative. So never question or let anyone else question your feelings. Follow your heart. You can be whatever you want to be. So bend the universe around your dreams and desires. Live your truth you have unlimited potential so use that limitless creative power to craft your own destiny your own identity and purpose and that is a pretty good summation of the current modern mindset well and this is really nothing new it's just a different version of the sinful pride that's been around since the garden of eden what is new today is the nearly total affirmation of this self-exaltation coming from nearly all segments of society and even creeping into the church. It's affirmed in our schools and in the movies our kids see and often by parents who have bought into this priority of self and a version of it has become a part of the teaching of the church or in many churches. It's just... It's, a, it's just saying, you got to be you, whatever that is. Whatever that is, you have got to be you. Well, this idea of absolute rule of the inner self, as I said, has crept into uh, Christian thinking, and there's a lot of ways that it has. I'm going to mention a couple. It results in Christians saying things like, I don't like that part of the Bible, or I don't like what God says about this or that it doesn't make me feel good and so our self your inner self becomes a judge placed above what God says and his word some today twist the true leading of the Holy Spirit into a new age style of inner guidance of really just doing whatever they feel at the moment. And they call it the leading of the Spirit. (laughs) And you can't count on them to be faithful to anyone or to the church or to the Bible because they do not live by obedience or faithfulness to God-given duties. They live by, again, what I would call this new age kind of inner guidance. Now, there is a true leading of the Spirit 
Our lives are living letters, Paul said, not written on with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts, 2 Corinthians 3.3. But the, the true leading of the spirit is not an exalted, proud self saying, I just got to be me, or I just got to do whatever I feel at the moment. It is the true leading of the Spirit is our inner person living in humility under the Spirit of God and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. As, as the Apostle Paul put it, I serve God in my spirit. Now, it's easy for us to see the manifestations of proud in our culture today. We have gay pride. Uh, we have women claiming to be proud of having an abortion. And it would be easy to just focus on that, you know, that, that, all that pride out there. But it's clear that Paul thought pride was something that could happen in church. And he taught against it in the letters to the churches. For example, Paul used the body, our human body, the illustration of, our, of the body to dramatize our humble dependence on one another. In, in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 21, he said, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Well, why would the eye say to the hand, I have no need of you? Because of pride. I've got it all together. I, I can handle this. I don't need you. Or, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Obviously, Paul was concerned that Christians can become proud. Christians can become proud of spiritual gifts. Uh, we can be proud that we speak in tongues or proud that we don't. In 1 Corinthians uh, 13, Paul addresses all the things that we can do with pride instead of love. And you know this passage, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have all faith so that I can, I can move mountains, but if I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away everything that I have, even if I deliver my body up to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. The point clearly is that we can be proud of our gifts. We can be proud of how sacrificial we are. We can be proud of how much faith we have. We can do a lot of seemingly spiritual things with pride instead of love. And it's just such a very subtle, clever disease that creeps into people's lives. Christians can be proud of their favorite teachers, authors, theologians, or church denominations. Paul wrote again to the believers at Corinth, Guys, I hear that there are fights among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Cephas. This doesn't mean we should not have firm convictions about things clearly taught in the Bible. But it does show that the sin of pride can invade even good doctrinal loyalties or even good loyalties uh, to certain teachers. The Apostle Paul, or excuse me, the Apostle John dealt with a proud man in the church named Diotrephes. And I can't remember if it's the second or third letter of John, but it's what it's all about, dealing with this proud man in the church. 
John said he loved to put himself first. He wouldn't submit to John's authority, and he tried to run the church. He tried to control who could, who could come into the church, and he tried to kick, be in control of, of kicking other people out of the church. You know, many years ago, there was uh, a man in the church who I really developed a friendship with, and I loved him and liked him and liked uh, being with him. Uh, but whenever we got together, it seemed he was here, mainly here in the church, or he saw himself as being mainly in the church as a judge to evaluate everybody else and everything else that was going on. And it was just tough when we got together for coffee or whatever to steer him away from who did what wrong and what was going on that he didn't think was right and so forth. And honestly, it wasn't very much fun to get together with him because he just was proud and he saw himself as kind of above, above everybody else. He didn't, he didn't see himself as a humble member of the body, but as someone who was kind of above the rest. And that's just a, it's just a manifestation of pride. All right, next I'd like to look at why we should avoid pride like the plague. And I'm going to give you... Uh, quite a few reasons on this and some of my other points this morning. And uh, uh, you don't get lost in all these lists. Just listen and learn uh, and take it in. But I, I put them in terms of a list and numbered them so, so that if you're taking notes or you want to get them all down, you can't. Why we should avoid pride or why you should avoid pride like the plague. Why you should flee from it. Abhor it. Number one, the Lord hates pride. We already read this psalm, or we've referred to it, Proverbs 6, 16. There are six things that the Lord hates. And you'd think there'd be more than that, but he says there's six things for sure that the Lord hates, seven that are an absolute abomination to him. And the first one listed is what? Haughty eyes. Proverbs 16, 5. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. And be assured, he will not go unpunished. This alone should be all we need to fear this sin. I mean, do you want to be doing something that the Lord hates? Do you want to be doing something or exhibiting an attitude that the Lord says is an abomination to him? Do you want to provoke the Lord to work against you? Well, these things should work in us a deep humility in our hearts. Second reason we should avoid pride like the plague. Second, the Bible prophesies a hard fall if you act proudly. You know, everybody would like to hear a, a prophetic word for them. Well, here's God's prophetic word for you. If you're proud, you're going to fall. You're going to be brought low. So before you think proud, act proud, talk proud, consider the consequences. Consider the damage that pride will bring you. Proverbs 16, 18 and 19. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Uh, there's an old uh, song. I, I call it classified kind of as a big band song. I, I actually really like uh, Michael Boob. Buble uh, sings that I like his version of. It's called That's Life. And there's a line in that song that says, you're riding high in April and shot down in May. 
And I always kind of chuckle in that because that is life. But that's life for sure for the proud. You're riding high in April, shot down in May. And it may not be happen exactly in those months. But if you're riding high in your heart, you can be sure that you're going to be shot down. And God's, God says he'll do it. Proverbs 26, 12. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? I tell you, there is more hope for a fool than for him. Now, I don't have time to read all the terrible things that God says about fools or will happen to fools in the book of Proverbs, but if you would read all of those things and then realize that God says a fool or the fool has a better future than the person who thinks he knows it all, it would probably help you uh, stop being wise in your own eyes. Next, I'd like to look at evidences of pride that we need to watch for. And I, th I think it's interesting how Proverbs brings out uh, many things that, he, that, that uh, Proverbs says come or will, will, be, will be manifested where there is pride. And I believe the reason for that clearly is so that we can be careful to, to recognize pride. All right, so evidences of pride. First of all, and this maybe isn't directly from Proverbs, but it maybe it's just kind of common sense and from the whole Bible. Evidence of pride, any sin. Where there is sin of any kind, there is pride. Sin is pride. It's prideful, rebelling against God. Christians generally have believed that pride is the original sin or at the root of Adam and Eve's sin. And it's a sin that generates every other sin. C.S. Lewis said, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride, unchastity, greed, drunkenness, or we could say immorality, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison, comparison. It is through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to all these other vices or sins. Second evidence of pride, a, a haughty countenance or look. I, and again, we already talk, looked at this verse from Proverbs 6. The, the Lord hates haughty eyes. Uh, but the point is here, pride shows. It shows on your face. It shows in your countenance. Uh, you know when you're in the presence of a proud man or woman. It's, it's, it's written across their face and in their eyes. Uh, we are not to have a proud look. We're not to strut. We're not to go around with our head lifted up, dress proud, look proud. Uh, Cindy and I, not too long ago, heard a well-known Christian, and I, I do put it in, in quotation marks because I don't always know, but someone claims to be a Christian country singer. They were giving advice to a younger artist, and they basically said, here's your problem. You just don't know how to strut. You got to learn how to strut. And then this Christian country artist demonstrated how you strut across the stage. Something's wrong with that, people. Pastors and teachers are supposed to be cool. And, and a lot of, a lot of the, 
churches, uh, pastors are, are supposed to strut across the stage. Uh, Christian parents sometimes can actually encourage their sons and daughters to look proud, act proud. We just so easily get sucked into that frame of mind because it's so prevalent in our, in our culture. All right, the third evidence of pride is strife. Proverbs 13.10, this is an excellent one. Where there is strife, there is pride. Where there's conflict in the home, church, work, with neighbors, pride could be the problem. You know, if you, if you find yourself just kind of going from fight to fight to fight, could be an evidence that you need to humble yourself. Could, could be an evidence that pri- pride is gaining an upper hand in your heart or some of your relationships. Proverbs 22, 24 uh, says, Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. And 22.10 says, Drive out a scoffer, and strife will go out, and quarreling and abuse will cease. Now there's another evidence of pride I could have put in there, is being a scoffer. But actually I just used that verse to drive home the same point, that you drive out a scoffer. It's, it's, it, it says, the, the scoffer... Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty, proud man who acts with arrogant pride. If you drive out this kind of person, the scoffer, strife will go out, quarreling and abuse will cease. In other words, peace will come when pride is gone. And so, do you want more peace in your life? Well, seek to be a meek and lowly person. Humility uh, produces peace. Fourth evidence of pride is walking in constant calamity. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction. The word for destruction literally means a crushing or a smashing. And I was really interested in my study of of this verse to learn that the word that's translated destruction in Proverbs 16, 18, it's the same word that's used to describe a broken foot or a broken hand in Leviticus 21, 19, and actually several other places in the Old Testament it's used to, des- to describe a, a broken bone. So pride goes before uh, being broken, being destroyed, a, a crushing or a smashing. And I want to be very careful here because do we all have many trials and tribulations Yes. But if things are always broken, if there kind of seems to be constant calamity in relationships, in marriage, in work, finances, in personal life, that, again, may be an indication of undealt with pride. And we should seriously humble ourselves before the Lord and go to Him and say, I'm, hey, you know, I'm seeing these things happen in my life over and over and over uh, is there something wrong in my heart before you, Lord? Uh, so walking in constant calamity is an evidence. Fifth, a focus on your own glory. Again, this kind of comes back to self-focus, and I'm going to use a verse that I quoted earlier on. It is not glory, 
to seek out one's own glory. Or it's not a good thing to emphasize your own glory or to seek it or to promote it. And athletes, entertainers, influencers, influencers of all kinds uh, today regularly model this shameless self-promotion of their own success and glory. And sometimes we follow that too, not realizing how offensive uh, that is to God. All right, sixth evidence of pride, fear. Surprisingly, fear is sometimes an evidence of our pride and of our willingness to unwilling, excuse me, and of our unwillingness to let go of our control of things. Uh, John Piper wrote an article called The Pride of Being Afraid, and obviously I can't quote it all for you, but the title says it all. (laughs) The Pride of Being Afraid. Pride is unwillingness to trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Peter makes that connection when he tells us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, casting all your anxieties on him. Humility is giving all of your anxieties over to God. Humility is actually believing that God cares for you and letting go of your fears and anxieties. And actually what prompted this point, honestly, didn't come out of Proverbs for me. But while I was studying Proverbs, in my other Bible reading, I happened to be reading the story of the the 12 spies that went into the land of Canaan. And if you know the story, God promised Israel the land of Canaan when they came out of Egypt. He says, this is yours, I'm going to give it to you. And he commanded them to go into the land and to take it. And Moses chose 12 men to go in and check out the land. Well, 10 came back consumed with fear. And they said the people are too tall and too strong. The cities are too big. They have walls that are too thick. Only two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, came back and said, no, we can take it. God has, God has said we can take this. Let's go in and take it. But the, the, the mass uh, or the, the entire congregation of Israel it says that they believed the ten spies who were controlled by fear. And they rebelled against the Lord and they refused to go into the land And they wanted to choose a different leader than Moses and head back to Egypt. Well, who exhibited pride and who exhibited humility? You know, pride says, regardless of what God has promised, I will trust my fears. And I am going to act on my fears and anxiety. And in the case of the children of Israel... And I am not going into the land that God promised and told me that, we're, that I'm supposed to go into. So, uh, fear is really pride in my own take on things and my own control of things. Uh, humility bows before the promises of God and the commands of God and acts courageously. Seventh, seventh uh, evidence of uh, pride. Not feeling the need to be deeply connected to brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. I don't have a verse from Proverbs for this, but the Lord put it on my heart. And that's why I'm sharing it. 
you know, the, the, the attitude even among believers is, I've got this. I've got this. I'm just fine. Don't really need to be with my brothers and sisters that much. Humility recognizes not only our need for God, but also our need for one another. And I, I think pride is one of the reasons it's just so hard to get us to be faithfully committed to one another and develop deeper relationships, deep, deeper commitment, deeper loyalty to each other. Uh, and if you didn't hear Josh's message last Sunday, I command you to go listen to it. <laughs> All right, next, we're going to move onto practical ways to practice humility. And again, I've got a list for you. First, there's just so much in Proverbs, uh, you know, I just, I just got to put them all down for us. Uh, practical ways to practice humility. First, simply choose to not place confidence in yourself and your ability to understand life and to know what is best for you. Instead, humbly choose to trust God. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5. Most Christians have heard this. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not rely upon your own understanding. That is how you practice humility. There's a verse uh, that I've told you many times, Psalm 143.8. I'm not going to quote the whole verse for you, but the end, end part of it is, uh, uh, I have put my trust in you. Show me the way that I should go, for to you I entrust my life. And I was meeting with somebody earlier this week, and they asked me about, you know, just how do you uh, seek to have God's wisdom and really want to, you know, know what God is sh showing you? And I said, well, I quote that verse every, uh, nearly every morning. I put my trust in you. Um, to you I entrust my life. Show me the way that I should go. All right, second uh, practical way to practice humility is learn how to humbly receive instruction and even correction. This is a big theme in Proverbs. Uh, we may actually deal with it a little bit more in another message, but uh, Proverbs is very big on receiving counsel, getting counsel. A lot of people want prayer for things and situations, but they don't want counsel. And you know why? Pride. It's a lot easier to get prayer for something than to, than to accept counsel and instruction. Proverbs 15, 31 through 33. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores, ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom and humility comes before honor. It takes humility to be taught or corrected, uh, but that brings both wisdom uh, and honor. So, you know, if, if, you if you really want God to honor your life, uh, you want to live in a, with a, in a sense of honor, 
um, and wisdom, you, you learn to eagerly accept instruction and teach. You come hungry uh, to be taught and to learn and to incorporate these things in, into your life. And you, just, you, just, you don't just blow off where there's strong admonishment um, or life, what Proverbs calls life-giving reproof. Third, a practical way to practice humility. In any given situation, go take the lower place and serve there. Uh, this is very similar to what Jesus said, but Proverbs 25, 6 and 7 says, Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great for it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. Sound familiar to something Jesus said? Take the lower place, simply. Go, 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 don't go look for the, place, the, the highest place of honor. Go look for the lower place. Let God move you up. Don't worry about exalting yourself. Uh, let God move you up. Fourth, practical way to practice humility. Let someone else sing your praises. I love this verse. It's so practical. I've thought about it in so many situations in life. Please remember this. Psalm 27.2, or Proverbs 27.2. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Why? Because it just isn't good. God says so. This is so practical. Um, let, you know, if you're worried about being honored or praised, wait, wait for God to move somebody else to do that. Um, don't, don't excessively, you know, talk about yourself in a sense of how good, great, awesome, special, <laughs> all those things you are. Now, we should be generous in our praise of others. And this actually reminded me of Proverbs 31. It says, her children, speaking of, of godly women, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, he praises her, saying many women have done excellently, but you excel them all. So, you know, praise and encouragement is, is a good thing. Uh, when that happens from from a stranger or from another person, from other members of your family, from other members in church, that's a good thing, but it just isn't good to, uh, to praise yourself. And it's just, it's just a way of walking in humility. And, you know, honestly, a big part of pride is just self-focus. And if we're, if we're concerned about whether we got enough praise or not or whether we got acknowledged or not, or whether somebody remembered our birthday or not. I mean, it's, it's honestly just an evidence of pride. It's self-focus. It's life turned in on self. And God calls us to an outward life, which is really the essence of humility. Fifth practical way, practice, uh, practice humility. Are, are you able to handle a couple of more? <laughs> not being too hard on, on you? Okay. Fifth. Accept the humbling circumstances God puts you in with grace and even joy. Uh, Proverbs 15, 13 says, Before honor 
comes humility. I mean, God's path, even for his own son in this world, was cross and then crown. And we have to, to learn that that is the way God works. He works through the cross to exaltation and honor, and it's, it's no different in our lives. You know, Peter said, uh, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he, or that he may exalt you at the proper time. It's not that God doesn't want to exalt you, but he knows when and for how long you might need humbling circumstances. So, you practice humility by, by bowing beneath your hard or humbling circumstances without bitterness or complaint. And often this is God's preparation for lifting you up and for using your life. N- number six way to, practical way to walk in humility. Do not brag or boast about what you're going to accomplish or what you're going to do tomorrow, next week, next year in your life. Proverbs 27.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Again, does that sound familiar? I think James read Proverbs. Now, there's another verse that relates to this that I'm going to spend a little bit of time on. I hope you don't feel like this is too much of a bunny trail, but I think this verse really powerfully communicates this thing that we don't boast about what we are going to do. And actually, I think it's, I think it's kind of a humorous verse. I, I hope, hope you get the this, this sense of humor f- from it. It's from 1 Kings Chapter 20, verse 11, and it says this, One who puts on his armor should not boast like one who takes it off. What does that mean? Well, you don't boast when you're getting dressed to go into battle. Only after the battle, when the battle is won, and you take your armor off. So, again, the one who puts on his armor, getting ready to do something, should not boast like the one who's already done it and then can take his armor off. Uh, an old preacher, Scottish preacher, by the name of Alexander uh, McLaren had a, a comment on this verse that, I mean, it ties in, it communicates the same principle that is in Proverbs that um, I found so powerful and brought me to tears when I read it. Probably will again this morning, although I'm going to try not to. Uh, But Alexander McLaren said this, You are a soldier whether you want to be or not, and life is a fight whether you recognize the fact or not. You, young men and women, are standing at the entrance of the amphitheater where the gladiators fight. But don't go into the arena with a brash self-confidence. There's only one way 
you can dash into the arena with the most perfect confidence that you will come out with your shield preserved and your sword unbroken. And that is because Jesus Christ said, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So my dear young friends, distrust yourself utterly and trust Jesus Christ absolutely. And give yourselves to him to be his servants and soldiers till your lives end. Then you will not be beaten, for it is written, these are they who overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of his testimony. And then he concluded by saying, there is no room for boasting, but there is room for absolute confidence. Well, I want to wrap up this morning uh, by reminding ourselves of the blessings of humility, the promises that come to those who are humble, and to remind ourselves that just as God responds to pride with saying, I will bring you low, God also responds to humility and says, I will bring you up. I will exalt you. And we see in Proverbs, um, I, I listed at least, I think there's seven, um, seven different blessings that I see for the humble in Proverbs. He promises, uh, the, he promises the humble riches and honor and life, wisdom and favor and grace. And again, I would say that the things that I've been teaching you this morning are, are themes that are all throughout the Bible. Um, and no matter how bold these statements are from Proverbs, no one made more radical statements about humility than Jesus. Uh, he said that the one who humbly serves is the greatest one in God's kingdom. Hearing that should, should affect you. It should affect us. God values humility. It is, it's not people making the most noise, grabbing the most headlines, uh, who God says are the great ones in his kingdom. In fact, Jesus said, only the humble childlike will make it into the kingdom. Matthew 18, 3 and 4. Unless you turn and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And he said, it, it is the meek, the meek and lowly who will be given, who will inherit the earth. It's the meek and lowly who will be given power and dominion over the earth someday. And also Jesus said, God hides himself from the wise, meaning he hides himself from those who think they are wise. But he reveals himself to little children or to those who are childlike in their humility. So humble yourself. If you want God to manifest himself to you and in your life, if you want God to show himself to you, humble yourself and it says he will. So we need to take uh, these words of Proverbs and of, and of course of Jesus and all of the Bible 
what it says about pride and humility. We need to take it seriously. And there may not be, there may not be an issue in life that demonstrates more clearly whether we are still mainly under the influence of the world or if we have had our minds baptized or transformed into the mindset of God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, humility is the ultimate value. I mean, I, th- I think we could say from the entirety of the scripture teaching that in the kingdom of God, uh, humility and love are the ultimate values. Not self, not pride, but humility. And, I mean, the world's going to tell you to be proud. It's going prou- to tell you to go uh, serve yourself, watch out for yourself, uh, Worship yourself even. Um, God's kingdom has a different message. Pride, humility is what God values in his kingdom. So, humble yourselves, Peter said. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Don't wait for God to humble humble yourself. It says, humble yourself. It's something that you and I are to do. Uh, we, we, we actively pursue to just daily uh, humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, humble ourselves before God and, and with each other, and to just walk, walk in humility. God says he'll exalt you if you do that. Let's pray.